is Genesis 23. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Abraham rose up from his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for uh, oh sorry. Give me property among you for a burying place that I might bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and treat for me, Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me, in the presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in at the gate of his city. Oh, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field. I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But, <clears throat> but if you will, hear me. I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I might bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right, amen. You may be seated, and at this time, I'd like to invite, uh, as it is a Liberty Kids Sunday, we'll invite all children who are normally uh, downstairs uh, for their class in the fellowship hall or in the children's chapel, so that's everyone uh, from pre-K all the way to third grade, and even if you're, you're older, you are more than welcome to uh, come on up to the front for our kids' portion for the service. All right, good to see everyone again. I had the opportunity to have this kid sermon with you guys last month, so very excited to have you guys again. Uh, if you haven't noticed, well, today is a really nice day, but the last couple of days have been really bad, right? Super hot. I'm sure you weren't even able to play outside. You had to play inside. So I'm curious, when you, when you play at home, 
uh, inside uh, or maybe outside your home, what is, uh, what's your favorite toy? What is like the most, your treasured toy that you like to play with that you're like, oh man, this is like no one else has this. I'm the only one out of all my friends that has this. When they come over, they want to play with this. They, they, it's the first thing that they ask for. Yeah, Isaac, what's yours? Okay, yeah, and I've seen it. It's really big. It's really nice. Okay, I wish I had a Lego set like that when I was a kid. Who else? Yeah, what's your, what's your favorite toy? Your Batman suit? Oh, man. Super jealous. I wish I had a Batman suit. How about you? Your Transformer? Okay, do you have a favorite Transformer that you have? Just, just give me your top one, your number one, <laughs> top one. Or you can give me all four if you can't decide on, on, the, on the top one. You think about it, and I'm going to come back to you. Charlie, you had your hand raised for a while. Okay. Oh, wow, bouncy house. Where is it now? Oh, okay, got peed on, Okay. Okay, yeah, I, I'm sure your friends aren't jealous. Okay, a uh, little cat. Okay, that's, yeah, that's, I'm sorry, man. Okay, do you, do, you, do you know what your favorite Transformer is, buddy? Okay. Optimus Prime, okay, the main character, right? He's that blue and red truck, right? Okay, yeah. How about here? What's, what's your favorite? Oh, okay, your, your, your toy baby? That's, yeah, that's cool. Nice. How about you? Right here. Your dragon. Okay, I've seen that dragon too. Very cool. Okay, these are all great toys, right? Um, toys, I didn't have many of these toys growing up. I wish I had a bounce house that, you know, wasn't peed on. I wish I had some transformers. These were all great things. Now, when you go to your friend's house, right, when you go to your friend's house, what is something that they have, right, that when you come home, you're like, oh, mom and dad, you wouldn't believe my friend Jeff has this really cool thing, uh, what are some of the things that when you go to your friend's house, you come back and you're like, oh, that's so cool. I wish that I had that toy. Think hard about that. What are some things? Yeah. A jungle gym. A jungle gym. Wow, okay, yeah. That's, that's something that I wish I would have too. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, like a trampoline? Oh, a bouncy obstacle course, even better than a trampoline. Okay, yeah, I, I would be jealous of that too. What else? I'm sorry? A backyard, okay, yeah, backyard. That's cool. I grew up in Queens. My backyard was, a, was like a tiny, tiny plot of things. So you can even call it a backyard. I can, I can resonate with that. I wish I had a backyard as well. Okay, now, now let me ask you this, right? 
Who would trade, who here would trade their most favorite toy or their most valuable, treasured possession for their friend's most valuable possession? Who, I raise the hands. Who, who, who would do that trade? One for one trade. Nobody? You would trade? Okay, I see a few hands. Okay, yeah, you might have to think about it a little bit. Think about it, right? It is your most favorite toy after all. Okay, now, uh, let, me ask a, let me ask another question. Who here, to get their friend's toy, to get their friend's bouncy obstacle course, their friend's backyard, who would trade not only your favorite toy, but all of your toys? All of it. And maybe all, you would do it? Wow, that's, that's, that's a bad deal. I wouldn't do it, man. It's, let me just tell you right now, you, you shouldn't do it. If your friend asks you, he wants all your toys for one toy, don't do it. It's not a good deal, right? It would be a waste of money, right? Yeah, so no one here should be raising their hands because it's a bad deal, right? It's a waste of money, right? You can just go buy that on your own. Yeah, Norris, you have something to say? Okay, yeah, yeah, you don't have any toys to give, so hey, this doesn't really apply to you, but that's okay. All right, Norris, how about this? Would you give, if I gave you $10,000 right now, right? I wrote you a check, or I gave you cash, right? And who would pay $10,000 for just one of their friend's toys? No one, right? Like I said, it's a bad deal. It's too expensive. It's a waste of money. It's almost crazy. Yeah, okay, maybe 10000 for all your toys. That's still a bad deal, man. I don't think all your toys are worth $10,000, man. Okay, but, you know, the story that we just read, there was a man named Abraham, right? We've been learning about this man named Abraham, and he actually goes and buys this field. He buys a field with this cave in it, but the weird thing about this story is that he pays a price that when anyone would look at that, would say, oh my goodness, what a waste of money. You're paying way too much. It's almost as if he was trading not only his favorite toy, but all of his toys and all the money that he had just for this little piece of land. Little piece of land, that's right. A field. Now, why do you think Abraham would do such a crazy thing like this? Why do you think he would do this? Why would he do this bad deal? You know, everyone there is like, oh, what are you doing? Why, why do you think he would do this? Why would he pay this big price? Isaac, what do you think? Okay, yeah, maybe it was a hot, yep. Yeah, he might have been really desperate. He might have really wanted this piece of land, and that's why he paid this high price. But I'm going to tell you why he did it. I'm going to give you the answer why Abraham did this crazy thing. He paid this huge price for this field of land, and it's because of this. Long time ago, 
God actually promised Abraham the land. And so in response, remembering that promise, God, Abraham was, was so confident. He didn't let anything deter him. He didn't let anything stand in his way. He didn't let other people saying he was crazy from stopping him from living in response to God's promise for his life. And for us this morning, God would never ask you to trade your toys or get into bad deals like this, but God has promised each and every one of you a lot of things. His promises are found in the Bible, and one of the promises that he has made to his children, and you all here this morning, is that when Jesus comes again, he's going to come, and when he comes, it's going to be a really special time that's never going to end. There's going to be no more hurt. There's going to be no more sadness. There's going to be no more tears. There's going to be no more worrying. There's going to be none of that. And because we have that promise, for us as Christians, we, like Abraham, can really live with a lot of confidence in this life. And even when the world tells us that we're crazy for believing in God, we don't have to listen to them because we know that God's promises are true. Amen. All right. You guys can go back to your adults now, and uh, thank you guys so much for listening so well. Okay. All right. Now for us. As we uh, jump into chapter 23 here, we uh, remember the following Abraham's test in Genesis ch uh, chapter 22, a uh, great demonstration of his faith in God. Uh, here we come, a, a time of transition in the book of Genesis, uh, right? Uh, we're, we're transitioning from Abraham's story now to his son Isaac. And, uh, you know, as we've spent some time in Genesis, We've seen this slow unfolding of God's promises to Abraham, right? And when we remember God's covenant to Abraham, uh, we can think about it that it had two main components. First, that Abraham's offspring uh, would be great, uh, it would be innumerable, he wouldn't be able to count his offsprings, and that his uh, people would be the source of a blessing to the world, right? Those that you bless, I will bless. Those that curse you, I will uh, curse. And the second part of God's covenant and promise to Abraham was uh, the promise of a land, as described in Genesis 17, 18, uh, 17, 8. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And so, well, Abraham and Sarah witnessed the beginning of the fulfillment of his descendants, his innumerable descendants through Isaac. Uh, here in this transition chapter from Abraham to Isaac, we come to a point now where land becomes the focus of the story. So we see here in Genesis 23, it opens with a description of Sarah's age and the location of her death. Sarah lived 127 years, and Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. Uh, this is a significant event, right? The death of Sarah. 
We see Abraham mourning for the very first time, weeping for the very first time, something we haven't seen Abraham do uh, in his whole life, only described here in this chapter, right? He, he didn't weep when he first left his country, which must have been uh, a sad affair, leaving his land and his relatives. Uh, I'm not sure if he wept, it doesn't say so, when Lot was captured by invading armies or or even if he wept or mourned when he was told to sacrifice his only son. And so here we have this very significant uh, event. And yet, as we continue on in the chapter, we see that this text here is, deals, is much more concerned with the negotiation that takes place between Abraham and the Hittites, Abraham and Ephron over a plot of land that he is trying to purchase. So we see here in verse 3, Abraham approaches the Hittites and requests a place to bury his wife. He starts by acknowledging that, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. And uh, as we see him introduce uh, himself in this way, we see that uh, while Abraham and Sarah, they did see, as I said before, they were starting to see the realization and fulfillment of God's covenant regarding their offspring, Abraham has yet to have to see any sort of fulfillment when it comes to ownership of land, a land that he can call his own, a land where the people of God would reside. He has yet to have any sort of foothold in the land of Canaan. So in response, the Hittites, they, first they recognize Abraham's esteem, referring him to uh, as the prince of God among them. Uh, I don't know, maybe uh, two chapters ago, Abimelech, you know, the word went around of who Abraham is, and they say, you're a prince of God among us, and they offer Abraham pretty good deal, right? The choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Like I just said, at first glance, this seems like a great deal, right? Who could, who could pass up a sale like this, right? Here is Abraham looking for a place to bury his late wife. And wow, here, here's the generosity of Hittites uh, just offering any tomb. Not just any tomb, but the choicest of any tombs. And no one would turn Abraham down, right? Who would pass this up? However, if Abraham agreed to this, he recognizes that he would still be a sojourner. He would still be a wanderer with no real rights to the land, with no real rights as a resident of that area. And so while at first glance this offer does seem generous, it actually would restrict Abraham in many ways and prevent him from moving beyond his status as a stranger and a sojourner amongst the Hittites. And so this is like... Um, this is like you, you know, you say you're in your 20s or late 20s and, um, you know, uh, you, you and your bunch of your friends get an apartment uh, in the city of Philadelphia. You guys all found jobs here and you say, great, you know, why don't all five of us, will come together. It'll be great. We'll share one bathroom. It won't be a problem and it'll be awesome. And uh, you have one friend who says, oh, can I, can I come live with you guys? And, and you know, this friend has, uh, you know, boundary issues, uh, keeps odd hours uh, incredibly messy, uh, never cleans up after himself. And, and so you say, you know, hey, hey man, you know, we're going to sign this lease, but I don't think everybody's name needs to be on this lease, right? It would just, it would save you all the paperwork and the application fee and the background check. If, you know, three of us, we'll just sign this lease and, you know, you just pay rent to us and, uh, 
you know, it's just, it would be better for both of us. Seems good now at a surface level, but the real motive right there is to have a breaking case of emergency to ask that person to leave if it ends up being a terrible situation. And if you want to kick them out, you know, you have this kind of, you know, thing in your back pocket to say, well, your name is not on the lease and it's time for you to go and take your mess with you. This is not exactly what's going on here, but you can get uh, the thrust of why the Hittites are trying to maneuver their request in this way, as they would much rather have Abraham remain as a landless dependent who simply received their generosity. And in response, Abraham addresses a very specific person, Ephron, son of Zohar, and he expresses his desire for a cave that fell on the edge of his field. And as Ephron and Abraham go back and forth, two things become very clear. Number one, we see Ephron's insistence on gifting this land to Abraham and Abraham's desire to not simply receive it as a gift, but purchase it. He says, for the full price, let him give it to me in the presence as a property for the burying place. Ephron says, no, my Lord, hear me. I give it to you. I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. And in response, I'll gi- and in response, Abraham says, I give you the price of the field. Accept it from me that I might bury my dead there. Zephron recognizes that Abraham is unwilling to budge and unwilling to accept this uh, charity uh, or grace, uh, you know, this free gift from him. He says, okay, he enters into uh, what we would see as a negotiation, right? A practice not uncommon in the ancient Near East when selling something like a plot of land. And so he says, my Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver? What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. So Ephron sets this price of 400 shekels. And to this first offer, Abraham agrees weighs out the silver with the merchant scales that are in the area and pays him the 400 shekels. Now, for the kids here, I talked about toys and all these things. I can maybe share now uh, some of the things that I like to play with when I was a kid. When I was 11 years old, the Game Boy Advance had come out in 2001, and um, I saved up all my money. My mom would make me do book reports for money, so I would pour through books and and I made the money, right? It was $100, the manufacturer suggested retail price of $99.99. I made it, and I was ready to buy it. And I said, okay, let's go to the store and buy it. My mom said, well, we're going to Hong Kong next month. Why don't you wait? And we can actually get a cheaper price in that country. So I waited, and we went. And uh, as we were in the streets of Hong Kong, we go into a shop that sold these Game Boy Advances, and my mom asked, uh, how much for this one? Glacier Blue, translucent blue. It's the one that I had my eye on. Store worker says, for you, $90. Unflinching, my mother looks at the person and says, I'll give you $5 for it. (laughs) I was appalled. I was yelling. I said, Mom, $90 is a great price. That's cheaper than anything we can find in the States. Just give the man his money and let us go. I'm saving $10 here. And to that, my mom looked at me and said, go wait outside. (laughs) 
What I didn't realize as an 11-year-old was that although $90 seemed like a good deal, this, this, this initial offer, this store would have been more than happy to let it go for a lower price. My mom didn't really expect them to give it to us for $5, but proposed this ridiculous low number just to get somewhere in the middle. And as an 11 year old, I didn't know how these haggling tactics worked, how these negotiations worked. And, you know, this practice, maybe not in this economy, is very common when buying a car, right? You'd be, you know, if your friend told you that, like, man, I just bought a new car, sticker price. But like, well, well, you didn't spend any time negotiating? You didn't do any research? What, what's going on here? Those who have traveled abroad and haggled with street vendors for souvenirs and random tchotchkes are familiar with this practice of haggling and negotiating, right? That first price is never a good price. As we think back on Abraham's willingness to pay Ephron's first asking price of 400 shekels, you might have caught on in my children's sermon, it was a bad deal. To put it in perspective, as we think about other deals in the New Old Testament that were recorded, Jeremiah 32, he buys a field for not 100 shekels, but 17 shekels. David purchases the temple site, the land where the temple would be built, for a mere 50 shekels. King Omni would secure Samaria for the price of 6,000 shekels. And so in the context of all these transactions, we really feel the weight of the price of 400 shekels. We might look, my mom, if she was there, said, what are you doing, Abraham? Probably tell Abraham to go wait outside while she tried to, you know, haggle with the Hittites. She said, don't you know anything? This, this first price is where the negotiations begin. You don't, you don't just say yes and, and pay that right away. Now, especially in Abraham's time, it was, it was customary to, for families to actually bury your dead in their ancestral land. And so it would have been totally appropriate for Abraham to save some money, 400 shekels, and go back and bury Sarah in her homeland, Ur of the Chaldeans. Why then this insistence on purchasing this land at an exorbitant price? What we see here in this chapter and what we see in Abraham's story is faith in action. Faith in action. It's an incredible story of Abraham in response to God's promises, having faith in the promises of God, putting that in action and walking the walk, so to speak. He is so confident in the promise of God that he was willing to purchase just a small portion just this, this meager field and a property that he knew the Lord would give him. And he was insistent that he actually pay the price so that no one could contend it. For if he had received it as a gift from Ephron, after Ephron's death, his children could have actually contested the ownership of the land. And so for Abraham, there would be no room for any sort of thing like that. He wanted to be sure that everyone saw that he purchased that field. And it was his. Here at the very low point in Abraham's life, mourning the loss of his wife, Abraham had many reasons to doubt God. And we've seen him doubt God and act in faithless ways many times before in his life. Yet here Abraham perseveres, buying a burial plot no matter the cost, showing his utmost faith in the Lord's blessings, faith that whether in his lifetime or even after his death, that God's people would have a land 
that they would inherit all of the land of Canaan. And he knew that maybe in the meantime, that their bodies would be buried not far from the place that Sarah first heard that she would be part of this promise by giving birth to Isaac. And this land, this, this field, this burial place would be passed down from one generation to another. And in fact, through purchasing this land, Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, Rebekah, Leah, and Jacob would all be buried in the same cave. The very first foothold of ground owned by Abraham in the land of promise. Abraham's faith in action is a testimony to the certainty of the hope that he and the patriarchs had in God's promise. And this is what we see in Hebrews 11, right? By faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that had foundations, whose designer and builder is God. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, acknowledging that they were strangers and exiles on earth. And as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Genesis 23 in this way is a marvelous illustration of what we've just seen in Hebrews 11. God had promised Abraham that the land of Canaan was his. And yet, upon Sarah's death, he would owe nothing. And even after he secures a place to bury her, we see that he would continue to surge, sojourn on for his whole life and would die with only this meager piece of land of promise to his name. But we need to see that this land, this small field, was a down payment. It was a guarantee of the hope to come. And through this, the bones of the patriarchs bore witness to future generations of their hope that the Lord would do so much for them, so much more for them in the resurrection than he did in their physical lives. We see this at the end of Genesis at Joseph's death where he tells his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. Through and through, Genesis chapter 23 is a story about persevering to the end, about trusting in God and his promises. But it's also about unfulfilled hopes, unfulfilled dreams that leave a longing for a better place. I believe in this way, Genesis 23 also serves as a foil for our own lives as Christians as we live here as sojourners. We live in between ages, an age that was and an age that is to come, an age categorized by sin and brokenness, and an age where Christ rules and his kingdom is here, which was inaugurated at his first coming. Just as Abraham called himself a sojourner at the end of his life, a foreigner in the land of Hittites, we also sojourn on in this broken world until Christ returns. We wander in a land that does not belong to us. Though we find our homes here, our mailing addresses, we, like Abraham, wander strangers in this world. And as believers, we need to be constantly reminded of this. We need to remind ourselves. We need to remind one another's. We were reminded that the temptations to be like this world, to love and value what the world loves, to think like the world, 
These temptations are real and ones that we should actively contend against as we remember our heavenly citizenship. Instead, we are called to look ahead in faith, clinging to God's promises, longing for the day that they are fulfilled, the day when sin, the day when death are no more. While our faith and the faith of Abraham and Sarah are the same in kind, we recognize that on this side of the cross, the surety of God's promises does not come in the form of a grave, but through Christ our Savior and the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this reason, Paul in Ephesians 1 writes, In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, or translated otherwise, the down payment for our inheritance. And so we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And because of this guarantee... Because we know that God will make good on his promises, Genesis 23 calls us to persevere to the end, to fight the good fight, to trust in God and his promises in an unwavering way. Even when our dreams, even when our hopes are unfulfilled. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as we look here at Genesis 23, It also asks us this morning, what ways has our faith in God's promises wavered as we wander here in a land that we do not belong to? What ways have we failed to persevere in our faith? How have we failed to put faith in action in our lives as we cling to our own strength, our own wisdom, our own faith in our battle with sin, in our marriages? in our careers, and with our children. The sad reality is that if we were to take an honest scope of our lives, the list runs long, myself included. The ways that we have failed to live out our faith, to persevere in God's promises, it's endless. We grow frustrated with God as we see day after day, dreams unfulfilled, hopes dashed. We find that our lives and our attitudes reflect much more of that of the world than where we do not belong. But God. Because while all of this remains the truth, while we mourn at our inability to put our faith in action, to cling to Christ in faith, we also at the same time rejoice that the fulfillment of God's promises is not dependent on our ability to persevere to the end. But instead, it's grounded in Christ, who in his time on earth was able to perfectly persevere to the end, in perfect obedience to our Heavenly Father, to the point of death on the cross. And the price that our Savior paid was not 400 shekels, but the price he paid was his life. And for that reason, we have received the Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit that Paul writes that is a down payment, a guarantee of our inheritance. This same Spirit he unites us to Jesus, a bond that can never be broken. For this reason, though we, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we all may die before Jesus returns. We may 
pass before Christ comes again to set things right. To put in our hands the fullness of our inheritance of a heavenly kingdom. Today we still worship and thank God that our Savior assures us that all of his promises will surely come to pass, even if they must come beyond our lifetime. And knowing this, we strive towards perseverance in this life in response to God's promises, knowing that on that last day, when we see Christ face to face, he will welcome us and we'll hear from his words, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.